<laughs> good, good, good. And I would just love to welcome all of you. Thank you for braving the snow in April. Right, what is going on with that? Uh, if some of you don't know, if you're welcome, if you're new here, I'm Dave Overhold, our lead pastor. And uh, I am so glad you braved the snow today. I think God is going to show up and just bless your heart today through his word, through his people, through the worship, just through the whole experience of being together. If you're watching online, I hope you can sit back and enjoy in your jammies. We're a little bit jealous, but uh, it's okay. And uh, listen to God's word. Let's pray and ask that God would come and speak to us here. Heavenly Father, I love you. Oh, there are so many good people here. And God, you know each one's journey so well, down to every single detail. And you brought every person here, I believe that, for a reason. And so I I pray that you would speak through your word. Lord, I, I pray that you'll comfort our hearts, our souls. We need it. And Lord, um... Be close to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it, uh, it took me a while to uh, uh, figure out that I'm a pastor. I was a youth pastor for a long uh, time, and some of you still wonder why I'm a little goofy. It's just because, you know, I try to always uh, keep things interesting for young people. But uh, it took me a while, and then all of a sudden I realized God pressed it on my heart. It is, being a pastor is not something I do. It's something I am. And because of that, I I care. It's this weird thing. I find myself praying for you all the time. I find myself imagining you coming in here, carrying so many burdens. I care about all the hustle and the rush in your life, all the things that press on you. I care so much about all the news you hear all the time, getting you to try and care about everything else everybody else is, is trying to chase you down with. Feels like secular religion out there is saying, listen, we're getting better and better and more and more perfect, but we've never felt more empty and alone. I just don't think the world out there works. I know in the depths of my heart, in the depths of my heart, our hearts were created to be in a relationship with God. If you're an atheist, if you've never thought about God, if you've never been to church before, if you've been to church your whole life, the deal is God made you, wove into your DNA a need for him. It's called a God-shaped vacuum where, where you're trying to fit other things in and it just doesn't work until God comes. And, and he fits in there, and there's a click. And it's a beautiful thing to know and walk with God. So deep in my soul, I was designed to walk with God, to have this relationship with God. A Christian story also says there is another player in here. It would be simple, wouldn't it, if it, God was the only player. But there is evil out here, and no matter where you are with God, can we be honest with that? You know that. You know some friends of yours, don't you, who, who are being fought over, and you go, wow, it almost seems like there's this evil force trying to steal the very soul away. And, and the Christian story says, you got it right. That's true. That is what is happening. There is a battleground. We live in this huge battleground. The Bible puts it very succinctly. When Jesus was saying this, he said this in John 10, the thief, that's the, the evil one out there, the thief, purpose is to steal. What's he trying to steal from me? Not your money. He's trying to steal your peace. 
He's trying to steal your purpose. He's trying to, to make you hopeless. So, so the evil one, is here, his purpose is just to, to steal everything good in your life away, eventually kill you, and eventually destroy you forever. That is his purpose, and we feel it pressing on our souls. The beautiful thing, Jesus turns around and says, listen, he's not into religion. He is into this relationship where he says, my purpose, this is what Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich, satisfying life. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to say that again. Jesus' purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Those of us who are Christians know that God opens up this potential. He opens up potential, but he always asks us to walk through it. In fact, Jesus says that he died for the sins of the world, which means everybody's a Christian. No, he, he, he died for everyone so the potential for anyone to come to God is open. No matter how far you've run, no matter who you are, the potential is there for you just to say, God, I give up, I surrender, I give my life to you. I, and then you step into relationship. <clears throat> and same with the potential, the potential to give this rich and satisfying life. And so how, those of us who know God, who are in his family, how do we walk into that potential of this rich and satisfying life. This whole series, and we are in the middle of this series, is talking about a way to do this. And I think it's a powerful way to walk with God. And it can be summarized in this verse, Psalm 46, verse 10. says, be still and know I am God. God is asking us to know him through slowing down, which is hard, isn't it? Come on. It's like, what can I do next? What can I do next? And like, and especially if you have young family, just like, oh, all around you. How am I ever going to just slow down? And yet God invites you to do that. And this is how we're trying to figure it out through this whole series, how to figure it out. This hustle works against knowing God in any kind of intimacy. And if you're, you're thinking, Dave, Dave, are you sure about that? I just did a... a a small Bible survey on this. I just sort of looked through all the Bible. I came up with at least 30 verses. I'm not going to read them all to you. I'm just going to read some of them to you. And you can search it out yourself, those of you who love God's word. It says this in Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient time, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. See, in ancient religion, it was like this God was far away. You had to throw a sacrifice into the volcano. You had to go and bring bananas to a stone altar. There, but, but God was, was removed out there. You never actually knew God. And, and somehow you go, well, I, I hope it's okay. I hope I get the, you know, the rain for my crops or, or whatever. And, and, and Isaiah here is saying, listen, Nobody has ever heard how amazing you are. God, you actually want to work on our behalf if we just slow down and wait on you to, to go and spend time with you. This is a promise that, that, uh, that is just so amazing. Another verse is Isaiah 40, 31. And, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you might know this verse. But read it with new eyes. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. These are the people that are going, okay, I'm going to spend some time just waiting on God, spending time with him. What does he promise? He's going to renew your strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
It's like that thermals. You don't even have to flap a wing. We'll just like throw you up. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. This is a promise, not against God's going to arrange the circumstances of your life to be awesome. He's going to give you strength to go and soar above them. There's more verses, Lamentations. Isn't that great? I'm not sure how many uh, sermons you've heard uh, preached of Lamentations. They're always uh, happy ones. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Lord is good for those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. And this is a Hebrew poetry that's parallel. So it's like he, he's saying basically if you're waiting, it's kind of like seeking him. So it's not a passive thing. It's not you just sort of waiting around. Actually to wait on God is something that you go and intentionally seek him. You go and spend the time to seek him. Uh, there's another one like that in, in Psalm 135 to 6. I wait for the Lord. So the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. My whole being. I just want you to, to feel what that feels like. In, this, in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. <laughs> I remember I was a watchman in a bowling alley. That was like a, a high a high-purpose uh, job there. I would hang out so no one would break in. I'm not sure what I would do if they did break in, but uh, it was kind of full-on minimum wage and, and tried to stay awake. Uh, so I was a watchman. Can I just say, as the clocks ticked, I was waiting for the sun to start to come up. Like, oh my goodness, you know, can we just, can, can the morning come any faster? And this is what he's saying. Listen, I'm waiting for God, and I can hardly wait for him to come and connect with me. I can hide, just like a watchman waiting for the morning. I'm going to seek him. I can, I'm going to intentionally pursue him. And you know what's going to be amazing? I can hardly wait. And these are just some of the promises of people who actually be still and know that I am God. So this creates some kind of disciplines that we need in our lives. And in the first week we talked about, don't let your mind think about anything you haven't prayed for. Don't let your mind think about anything that you prayed for. Remember, we talked about our area of responsibilities, things that we can actually do something about our area of concern. All the things that we're thinking about because of the news and, and social media pressing on us. And that, that little cushion in there creates anxiety. And as we're thinking about the war or, or we're thinking about different issues or we're thinking about somebody in our family that we actually can't do anything about, we, our, our minds are just ripped apart. The Bible is very clear there. You, we need to pray about that. We need to pray and say, God, could you be active there? Could you be involved in so many ways? And so that now lifts some of the, the anxiety from our hearts because we're taking the time to wait on God. Don't let your mind think about anything you haven't prayed for. I hope you've been practicing that. I hope you've had a taste of that. Last week, last week we talked about set aside, set apart a Sabbath with God and his word. <clears throat> I put S there, a Sabbath. It's not about a day. It's not about a whole day. It's times. It's where you say, I'm going to make a clearing in my day to go and say, I'm now going to focus on you, God. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to spend some time doing that. I pray to God all through the, through the day. All, I just keep up a running conversation. I, I remember uh, this, I uh, forget what day it was. I was uh, early in the building. I couldn't, I, I woke up early, so I drove to our building. And I, I went to the new shell that's there. It's going to be filled with people someday. And I just sat in front of the window, and the snow was just falling. 
And uh, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to spend some time, just concentrated time, talking to you. Going over some scripture in my heart. And it was beautiful. I had a Sabbath for maybe about 45 minutes with me and Jesus. And that's what we need. We just need to clear out of our schedule moments. Moments. And I've been working on this verse a lot. Lord, you're my shepherd. You're my shepherd. I have everything I need. <laughs> you're my shepherd. God, I have everything I need. Lead me to your rest. Lead me to your peace. And so as I get that in my heart. Today, today is our, our third movement to try and understand how we can uh, walk in, uh, in holiness over hustle. <clears throat> holiness over hustle. We're going to go back to something we talked about in the first sermon that uh, we believe some central things as Christians about God. What you believe about something actually shapes that relationship. First thing we, we talked about, and I could skip over this, but I can't because it's just so good. God loves me. God loves me. And you think if he loves the pastor, man, he loves you even more. <laughs> he does, man. All right, God loves me. Can we just all say that? Because it's just good for my soul, all right? Okay, one, two, three. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God loves you? He does. <clears throat> I hit this quote on, uh, on, on my Instagram feed. It was so good. I said, man, I got to share this one from Tim, Tim Keller. He says this, to be loved and not knowing is comforting but superficial. In other words, I can say, I love you all. And I already said that. And it's kind of comforting that your pastor loves you. But to be honest, kind of superficial because some of you don't know me at all, right? Comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I know about you. I know about you. And I'm going to reject you. But, <laughs> this is the awesome thing about God, come on. But to be fully known with every single thought in your brain, known, to, to know everything that you've done and truly loved is the love of God. Isn't that awesome? I, I know we don't say amen at this church. I, I get that. We're not those kind of Christians, all right? But I can... can can I hear somebody say amen to that? It's a Christian thing. I agree with that. Okay, good. Thanks. Woo! <laughs> Got to get some more Pentecostals out here or something. I don't know. <laughs> but to be fully known and truly loved is the love of God. It is what we need more than anything. And I believe it in my soul. I'm going to focus on the second truth uh, in our first sermon, is that God is with you every moment. God is with you every moment. It's in different levels. We all, uh, we all know that God is, is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't hide from him. The Psalms say about that. He is everywhere. But we know as Christians, once we say yes to him, once we surrender our lives to him, he gives us our holy, his Holy Spirit, and he is close inside us. And then there is something else that the Bible talks about. And to be honest, there isn't a clear definition in the Bible. Bible about it, so we just have to sort of pick up hints, and it's called his presence. The presence came down in, in, the, uh, in, in the tabernacle. It was just like he was close, but he's everywhere, but it almost like he revealed who he was in that little piece. You know, it's like, wow, God is close. Well, isn't he everywhere? But he's sort of revealing more of who he is and his presence in the moment. That's his presence. That's his closeness. 
And so the beautiful thing is God is with you every moment. He is with you every moment. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. But sometimes we need to ask the question, where are you now? Where is your presence? Where are you revealing yourself now? Where is your presence? Where are you now? Because it says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I know he's everywhere. But guess what? He presses in close to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? God is close to you. Are you brokenhearted? And saves those who are crushed in spirit. I say, okay, Dave, Dave, help, help me understand that. I had a, a pastor, a friend, who told me this story. This is not my story. This is his story, but it's so beautiful. It just illustrates it perfectly. He had a good friend that was uh, dying in the hospital. He, he went to visit him. And as he visited him, his friend, although he was a believer, knew he was going to heaven, said, man, I, I'm just scared. I'm just scared, right? I, I don't know. It's, it's a scary journey. I'm ready for heaven. But the getting there is the hard part, right? And uh, the pastor said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I'd be scared too. I, I know. I understand. He said, uh, do you know that God is here? He says, I just wish I could understand where he was. And he said, well, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him, God, where are you now? And so they were quiet. And his buddy asked, okay, God, where are, where's your presence now? And he looked up and he says, it's kind of weird. It's almost like Jesus is sitting at this chair, sitting on this chair. And so the pastor said, great. And he moved the chair right close next to the bed. So Jesus is here with you. He is close to the brokenhearted. Uh, he got a phone call that night that his buddy died. Uh, and he thought maybe he could make it to the hospital before they uh, took his uh, body away. We got there. They, they missed it. He missed it, he said. And he said, did he pass quietly? Did he pass peacefully? They said, yeah, yeah, he did. But strangely, one of the last things he did in the last ounce of strength, he moved and put his head over on his chair. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I believe it. I have talked to dozens of people who have been through horrendous things. And they ask God, where were you? And he answers them. I was shielding. I was stopping from more things happening. I was angry and I was in the room. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. God, where are you now? At one time, I had a, a horrible boss, which is horrible, quite, quite abusive. And I had, a, had a, a meeting with him every Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, sort of burned in my head. And I remember this, this hallway that I'd have to walk down to go and, and meet with him. <laughs> he would go through and, and just ring me out about all the things I did that week. Can you believe I messed up so many times in a week? But I did, I guess. <laughs> And I remember once saying, could you just like encourage me a little bit? Just a little bit that I'm doing something right? He said, encouragements are for small groups, Overholt. <laughs> okay. Can we make a small group? <laughs> <sighs> you know what I did? 
I'd walk down that hallway and I'd hold up my left hand because I'm holding on to the strong right arm of Jesus. I get into his office, there's two chairs across from his big oak desk. I would arrange one right next to me, <laughs> and I would sit down next to me. And I would look over and say, okay, Jesus, you're here with me. You're close to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. You're with me in this one, Jesus. Every Tuesday, 2 o'clock. <laughs> in our darkest moments, Jesus brings healing. He protects our heart and mind. Where are you now, Jesus? But not only that, in our darkest moments, you know, God's presence is close to us in our greatest joys, in our greatest joys. It says in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. And I remember saying, okay, God, where have you been in some of my joys? And I, I remember just saying, you know, can, can I remember some happy times in my life? And and just remember heading out to a, on an airport, going to speak somewhere. I don't know where I was going. But I just remember Cara, my daughter, was, was with me. And we're just so excited, you know, something about flying, something about going and ministering. It was just so cool. And I said, God, were you there? And he said, yes. I was more excited because, Dave, you and I were going on an adventure together, too. I go, that's awesome. God is with me, God is with me, God is with me in intimate and wonderful and joy-filled and protective ways. And that is a good thing to guard your soul. That is something I need, I need, I need. As the book I've been reading says this, in every season, in every moment, God is in the room. We need to get that in our souls. In every season, in every moment, God is in the room. Can we just say that? I know it's not a Bible verse, but it's just a cool quote, all right? All right, here we go, here we go. In every season, in every moment, God is in the room. Where are you now, God? What would you say to me? I'm convinced that God whispers. I have not heard the audible voice of God. Not many people have. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to hear that. In John 10, three to four, Jesus is explaining how he wins people to himself. He says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. It's a metaphor of sheep. The sheep listen to his voice. That's Jesus' voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's how I became a Christian. I was just, I, I, I needed God. And it was like this, why not now? Why not now? Just surrender your life to me. And so God whispers that in our hearts and minds. And when he is brought out his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Why do we follow Jesus? Because we know his voice. We, we know that thought, that tap, that thing that he's going to lead us through. I, it's First and foremost, his, his whisper is about a relationship with him, but it's also for taps. For yes, I want you to do that. For no, I don't want you to do that. The, the Bible says to hear God's voice in, in, in prophecy, it's hard. It's like looking through a foggy glass. We don't get it right all the time. That's why we have grace. We have grace here at Church on the Rock to, you know, in case people get things wrong. The deal is, I think sometimes in my life, his no's and yeses are the clearest thing. I've been wanting to share my faith with somebody. I get opportunities to talk to people about how, how to, you know, how to share your faith. It's, a, it's a, like a partnership with God. And so I've got some great stories. I go, man, I want new stories. <laughs> I want to tell other people about you, Jesus. And so I, I've got some friends at Starbucks. Uh, one, the, the managers actually come here to Church on the Rock, which is great. That's why I go to Starbucks all the time, really. It's the only reason. 
I, I've gone so many times. This is really sick. I pull in front up on Upper James, and uh, at one time, the manager comes out and gives me my tea at the front door. Isn't that awesome? I think I've arrived somewhere there. I, I don't know where, but they still charge me two seventy-five. Anyway, <clears throat> I said, God, it would be really cool to, for me to tell others about you. I, I, I'm around Christians all the time. <laughs> and... Uh, Ah, uh, so I, I'm going in now, God, now, now, no, oh, now, no, uh, now, no, okay, don't be awkward, Dave, not now, don't be awkward, okay, uh, this week, I went in, I said, hey, how you doing, she said, actually, Dave, my, my dad got a stroke, how's he doing? We don't know yet. We don't know how much is, is going. I'm going to take the rest of the week off. Wow. Lord, would you mind if I prayed with you? Oh, Dave. I was hoping you would. <laughs> okay, that's a yes, I think. <laughs> There's something about yeses and nos from God that is so beautiful. My sheep hear my voice. And I followed that voice. Did you know that Jesus lived a led life? Jesus lived a led life. It wasn't just that he was God and he knew everything. He actually set aside a lot of his power. And so, for for instance, he he says in John 5, 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can can do nothing by himself. He only does what the father sees the father's doing. Whatever the father does, the the son also does. I don't think that Jesus knew everything that was going to come down the pike. I think he walked around saying, okay, God, where are you active? What's happening? I love the the story in in Luke 19 in Zacchaeus. He's walking through the town. It says in the top of the passage, he's intends to go through the town. I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. And then he sees this chief tax collector up a tree. And he goes, you know, he doesn't say this in the passage. I could just imagine Something's going down, God. Okay, Father, we're on. Come on down. I'm going to stay at your house, even though he was intending to go through. It's like Jesus was, had this, this sense about what the Father was doing everywhere, and Jesus lived a led life. Lived a led life. Okay. I, I, I love one, one survey, and, and somebody wrote here that said, Jesus did not perform miracles on demand. Jesus did not travel every time a door opened. Jesus did not heal every time there was a need. Jesus did not preach every time multitudes gathered. In fact, there's one passage where his brothers, who didn't believe him at first, was sort of goading him to be famous. In John 7, it says this, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. It's like, thanks, guys. Thanks for your vote of confidence. It's like, man, my brothers are like goading me. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. And Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go. He said, no. It's a place packed with people. It would be a great opportunity, but not my time. It's not the right time. As, uh, as the author of The Sacred Flow says this, Jesus' example made it clear that living lead is not a passive default for the souls. It is an intentional lear- leaning in to listen. Living lead leads to self-control. 
Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, so it actually should be like spirit control. But I think God calls it self-control so he knows it's a partnership that we need to actually do something about it. We understand self-control is saying no to things that are overtly bad. You know, it's like, you know, having one more bag of potato chips. Like, wow, okay? I'm not even saying a potato chips. It's self-control, right? Having the second bowl of ice cream with chocolate fudge and whipped cream. Like that, you know, we know, understand that, that, that God says, you know, this is self-control. It's about watching another reel, <laughs> or another movie, right? It's just like, okay, self-control. So we get the idea and, and that self-control is saying no to things that are maybe not good for us. That's great. We get that Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. If you lack self-control, your walls are broken down. The evil one can just come in and just do all kinds of nasty things in your life. But I think there's a higher level of self-control. It has more with strengths and opportunities. That God actually encodes restraint into normal, healthy lives. I love Psalm 1. It says, you'll be like a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season. You're not going to produce fruit all the time. There's going to be seasons in your life where you're going to lie dormant, and it's going to bother some of you. But that's okay because you're gaining strength to be able to bear fruit another time. We are stewards, not owners of the gifts and strength God has entrusted to us. And so now we say, God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to say yes? Do you want me to say no? Howard Hendricks, my, uh, my mentor, said, Dave, this means, this means we need to have an educated conscience. <laughs> and as we need to know what to feel guilty about. What does this look like? If you are a giver and you like to give, you always like to give, and somebody has a sign that says, I need your money. And you go, oh, I need to do that. I have to give. I want you to stop and say, God, do you want me to give to this person right now? You go, yeah, because they're asking. It's not your money. It's God's money. You should ask him. And sometime he's going to say no, and you're going to go, oh, I'm a horrible person. No, you're not. You're having self-control and restraint, not doing everything that you could do. If you like to teach, you need to be silent sometime. <laughs> you need to be silent when you have a really cool insight that you want to share. And it would be blowing everybody away. But you go, Boop. I remember <laughs> just in the discipleship group uh, this week, and people were sharing stories. I'm a storyteller, right? It's like, oh, that's such a fun story. But it's going late. Like, God, do you want me to share that story? No. But it's a good story. Restraint, you don't have to do everything that you can do. It's interesting. Timidity is fear-driven. I get that. Hesitation is doubt-driven. Restraint is obedience-driven. It might seem weird to some not to do everything you're capable of doing. As Henry David Thoreau said this, if a person does not keep pace with their companions, perhaps it's because they hear a different drum. So living led, living led by Jesus, we discover something. You know what we discover? When we're living led, we discover Jesus' burden is light. Isn't that awesome? Because sometimes he'll say, season of restraint a season of slow. Sometimes you'll say a season of activity. You need to step it up. You need to go. But the beautiful thing is, 
when we ask God, where are you now? What would you say to me? It is a place where the hustle just falls away. And holiness comes up to be able to walk with God in such intimacy. So let's, let's go over this again. Let's go over this again. I'll ask our worship team to come on up. We believe that intimacy with God is the thing that will lead to our fulfillment. One way to walk with intimacy with God is to ask the question, where are you now, God? What would you say to me now? These questions produce healing and protection. They lead to celebration. And it starts to remove the hustle. As God says, no, yes. He says, I'm here with you. He says, celebrate with me. Remember all that I've done for you. Let's stop and practice that now before we head on into worship. I'm going to have a time of silence, and I want you to ask God those two things. Where are you now, God? What would you say to me? Let's have some silence and put away some of the hustle in our head. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, listen to our question. Where are you now? What would you say to me? God, I love your presence. I love it that you are omnipresent. I love it that you are in me as the Holy Spirit. I love that you draw close to the brokenhearted, to those who celebrate in joy. Now, Holy Father, I invite you, please, draw close to us now. Help us to meet you in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, we celebrate communion every week. And that is for people who are believers. If you surrendered your life to Jesus, you're welcome to join us at the table at the back. Our elders will be there. And they'll ask you, how can I pray for you? You can pass or you can say, yes, I, uh, I, could you pray for me? If somebody would just like to be prayed for, you're welcome to go back there. And I want you to take the cup and thank him. Go and confess anything that comes up and spend some holy time around the table. Let's worship him now.